Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, we begin a new series. Uh, you see it there on the sermon bumper, Will God Come Through? Now, you guys hear me, but most of you don't see me. You guys know where I am? You hear the voice, but not the man. I'm right over here by Chris and Robin Bond, and you guys had not been to church in a few weeks, haven't you? <laughs> well, they had a baby, so that's okay. Is this weird? Does this feel a little awkward? To kind of walk among the people or the crowd. I'm not running for office. Don't let me scare you. But it's for, thank you, Van, for showing me the love. It's a little strange and awkward, isn't it? To, uh, to be out and to not take a stand. But let me ask you this morning, what if, uh, what if I did that? What if I ever did that? What if I, when it was my turn to stand up and preach the Word of God, what if I just stayed in the seat? What if I didn't stand up? What if I didn't do my job? What if I didn't do what God wanted me to do? What most of you want me to do? You would probably call me out, wouldn't you? It would be beyond just strange and weird and awkward. It would be tragic. It would be tragic. You would say, hey, dude, that's a dereliction of duty. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it happens sometimes. But what if that was me in fear? I just didn't want to come to church today. And I certainly didn't want to preach. So I just stayed out there. You know that that would... It wouldn't honor God. And this morning as we look at this really big question, will God come through? Today we're going to look at, will God come through when I don't feel like I'm up for the task? When I don't feel up for it? When I feel inadequate? And just as it would be a dereliction of duty for me to stay in the crowd and not take a stand, what a tragedy if that's you today. If God is calling you to not stay in the crowd, but to stand, but fear is getting the best of you. And so you you don't know if God's going to come through. Anybody know what the number one confidence killer in life is? If you're going to live with confidence, anybody know the number one killer of confidence? Any guesses? Failure. Failure. This didn't go well for me. I tried something. It didn't work. It didn't, it didn't reach the conclusion that I wanted. And so I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to go forward. I'm just going to sit in apathy, maybe in comfort and convenience. I just don't feel like I'm up for the task. I don't feel like I have what it takes. Now, I know a lot of you, I enjoyed sitting over there with Stuart and Courtney and Sterling and uh, Hayes and Allie, and of course Chris and Robin, who uh, back, were back in church. Um, but look, I don't have to know all of you to be able to say this this morning. Is that because we're uh, Americans, because we're uh, trained in the thought of Western philosophy and education, you have p- parents and teachers and coaches and guides and guardians People bigger than you that when you were little, when you were a tiny tot, a wee one, they taught you and they said things to you. I know it. I heard it myself. You heard these three things when you were growing up by people who they, they were lovingly intentional. They meant well. And they told you this, believe it and achieve it. The sky is the limit and you are one in a million. And you have there rolled up a lot of psychology there for human endeavor, human accomplishment. You have self-actualization. You have there unlimited potential. You have good vibes, things that we all want. And this is what we're told 
when we grow up. Well-meaning people tell us this. We're schooled in this. And listen, this is all great. Are you kidding me? Believe it and achieve it. The sky is the limit. You're one in a million. That is great until it's not great. You see, these are the very things that psych us up and send us out to conquer the world. And they sound great. Again, coming from people who love you and wants you. They want you to stand up and do what God has called you to do. Not sit passively in the crowd, but to take on, to take the reins. Put your hands on the plow and move forward. And this all is also great, well, until it's not great. Uh, question to consider, uh, let's consider the last one. You're one in a million. Let's go back to that. You're one in a million. Let me ask you, are you one in a million? Think about it. Trick question, right? Are you one in a million? Now, there's 7.4 billion people on the planet. But are you one in a million? Look, I love you enough, and I want you to keep coming back to church. Look, you're one in a million, okay? But so is that girl over there, and so is that guy over here. I was reading this week about a dating website. I'm not, not against them. I think they can be good. They were talking about one particular question on a compatibility survey that all the responders were asked to answer. And here's the question. Are you a genius? And a half, over half, of a certain gender answered <laughs> yes to that question. I don't even have to say it, but half of men answered yes, I'm a genius. Now, factually and statistically, the experts say that one out of a thousand people are actually a genius. So that we don't have a thousand people in the room. We have hundreds of people. I guess they'll tell me at the end of church today, but we have hundreds of people in the room. Now, we did have over a thousand people here for Easter. And does that mean that uh, we only had one genius here on Easter? Yeah. I'm glad y'all joined me as we celebrated <laughs> the risen Lord and Savior. Half, so think about this, statistically, factually, only one in a thousand are a genius. So five out of ten men think they're one in a thousand. Is it any wonder Paul in Romans 12 said this, and women, go ahead, if you're sitting next to a spouse or a boyfriend or someone you want to be a boyfriend, just nudge them a little bit. But Romans 12, 3 says this. It says, men, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Because, I think, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So five out of ten men think they're one in a thousand. It just doesn't add up. And so let's answer the question or consider the answer to the question, why this statistical difference? Why is it this um, so perplexing? Why doesn't it add up? And I think it's this, that there's a lot of people from a certain gender in particular who haven't had their confidence tested yet. You see, strength in self eventually erodes. How many of you know that? Strength in self eventually erodes. And if you're living, living, like making decisions and doing things, it happens quite soon. And I would say, from the perspective of a failure, it happens quite often. Strength in self eventually erodes. You see, self-confidence when it finally gets tested with the big confidence test, it erodes, it evaporates. 
Proverbs 24 says it this way. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? When you really get tested, you really know what you possess. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? We want to be strong, don't we? A decade and a half ago, I baptized a guy at another church down the street, and he was so big. He was a former football player, college and professional, and an MMA wrestler. And our baptistry at the time at that church was this size, just like this, comparable in dimension. And this guy's dimensions were so amazing, we couldn't baptize him. It was so difficult. And so we decided to wait until we moved to the new location with a larger baptistry. This guy was strong. This guy was powerful. The other pastors were saying, Robert, do you need us to help you? This guy is loaded up with muscles, six foot eight, you know, 300 and something pounds. Just lo- do you need us to help you? Insulting my strength and my power. And I did it. Jesus and I, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were able to baptize this guy. We buried him and we raised him up to walk and we hope newness of life. One big dude, we would say from the external trappings, that's a man with strength and power. And do you know, as Americans in particular, we have an obsession with power. We eat power bars and drink power A. We go on power lunches with power brokers. Some of us go back to the office and take a power nap. Someone saw me at a wedding last night in Hattiesburg and said I was wearing a power tie. They'd never seen me in a tie before. But we have an obsession with strength and power, and you'll only know your power when the storm comes. You guys ever watched the Weather Channel, and you ever seen a Storm Chasers? It's one of their best shows, and these uh, people, mostly men, are just nuts. And as the name applies, they don't just like watch the storm and think about the storm and pre- or predict the storm. They actually chase the storm. And they get close to it. They drive close to it. They've got those uh, diagnostic tools and they want to help us. I think it's a good thing. If, hey, if it saves lives, I'm for it. But on the surface, I'm just going to say, these guys are nuts. They're chasing the storm. And what's fine with weather is not fine in life for you and me. Like, look, You don't need to chase storms. Why not? Because they're coming. They're coming your way. Storms inevitably, invariably are coming your way. And when the storm comes, you'll see if your strength will falter. Strength in self, eventually it erodes. You don't know about self-confidence and how it's going to falter until a big confidence test. Let's get real. BCT, big confidence test, a diagnosis from the doctor, discovering his secret text messages, your wife walking out on you, hearing the word autistic, walking into a room with family and friends gathered for your intervention, being bullied by people because of your faith, because of what you believe and how you're trying to live. It is in those times, in the big confidence test, that we find out what's in us. So these weeks, will God come through? Today, will God come through when I don't have what it takes? We are in these weeks going to be in First and Second Kings. I've waited to say that because I didn't want to tell you all on social media, hey, we're studying First and Second Kings. But we're going to look at this ancient story, stories, 
I've never preached before, but it's just so good. So in 1 Kings 1 and 2, we're going to walk through it and a, a jet through it over these several weeks. And this is in the time of history. Let me give, give a little bit of background here. This is in the time of David, time of Israel. David is the king, and David has been the king for 40 years. So it's, it's sad when you start because uh, David is very sick. But these 40 years were Israel's best 40 years that they've ever had. Uh, David and the armies of Israel had defeated all of their neighboring nations. And you know, some of you know history, their neighboring nations were out to get them. Does it sound anything like today? But there were neighboring nations and this small uh, little people, uh, they were under attack constantly. And the enemies had been defeated. And David and his team built a wall around the city. And that meant economic prosperity and national security. The times were good. If he stood up and did a presidential or a kingly state of the union address, there would be probably nonstop applause and cheer and unity all around. It's rare in a divided nation like ours in particular. You guys realize how divided we are. And to think, well, here was a nation very, very unified, and a lot of it had to do with leadership. How important do you think leadership is? I was just thinking yesterday about being able to preach this series and just looking at it through from a leadership perspective. Although I've never taught these this passage publicly, I, I do know that it's great leadership principles. If you're young in particular and you, you aspire to lead, there'll be good things in these stories for you in particular. But here's David, economic prosperity, national security, a wall around the city. Things are going great except he's sick. And it becomes apparent that he's sick to the point of death. And an aged David who had led 40 years pulls his son, very young, you'll see in a minute, a very young son, and he pulls close to him and taps him on the shoulder. And he says, Solomon, my son, God desires that you become the king. Now imagine if you're Solomon. Who wants to take over after a legend? You you know that that doesn't work well. You can pick the arena, uh, sports, Ministry, I've, I've seen damage in ministry when a new pastor is called in when, when that person is replacing a legend. It really, I, I, I never want to be, I never want to be that, that person. Do you? Like, I want to be the guy that comes in when there's, you know, things aren't going well and they need to turn around, right? Because if it's good and it's been 40 years of security and prosperity and unity when morale is high and turnover is low, there's only one direction that it can go and that direction is down. And so you have that, and you have the fact that Solomon is so young. By the way, a recurrent theme in the Bible. Don't let somebody look down on you because you're young. I don't know who needs to hear that today. But yeah, there are seasons of wilderness and preparation. That's ultimately God's timing and God's terms. But don't sit on the pew. Take a stand. Do what God's called you to do, and don't let people look down on you because you're, because you're young, not just for that reason. And so Solomon is here at his father's side. Somebody once said that last words are lasting words. Those of you in the medical profession, those of you who've lost loved ones, I as a pastor have had many occasions to be ushered in, to be with a family, to be with someone who's about to depart from this life to the next. And that man, that woman, if they're able to speak, they don't say trivial things, do they? Because last words, we all want last words to be lasting words. We want it to matter. And you say, really? 
important things. So consider that as we look at 1 Kings 2. We'll have the passages up. I'm about to, first, this is 1 Kings 2 2. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Let's keep that up, Gina, if we can. Uh, I love this, even this first sentence here. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. It doesn't matter how much you've made. It doesn't matter the zenith, the pinnacle, the mountain that you've climbed. It doesn't matter all the people that you look down on. It doesn't matter how great you feel about your awesomeness. All of us will go the way of the earth. And here David is saying, I don't think of myself as a king anymore. Like here's this palace, and I'm interested in the next palace. But I'm about to go the way of all the earth because no amount of money. Now, with a lot of money, you could get the best in health care. Friend, dear friends of ours, we prayed over them. We prayed over them here. They're in another country right now seeking the best health care, the best medicine that humanity can give in 2019. And oh God, we pray for them and we wish them well. But all of us are going to go the way of all the earth, no matter your money, no matter your kingly or queenly status. And then he says to his son, be strong and show yourself a man. Now, this last phrase could get me in trouble today. Uh, show yourself a man. Do you know that now, probably more than ever, there's confusion of what that means, and, and not to get myself in trouble with some of you, but I've, I've evolved a little bit. I hope that I've progressed in this area, and I used to think that to show yourself a man, there's really only one or two ways to be able to do that. But what is David saying? Because you know David, was he was a warrior, and he was a soldier. You know, he lived in a violent era. But he was a poet. He played the harp. How manly is that? How does that fit into our stereotypes of masculinity? So what is meant by this in today? Let's just say that there's two uh, very extremes. On one side of the continuum is uh, folks over here who would say there is no difference in male or female. Just no difference. And they hold to that, and it's a social and political position, and it's a dividing line. And I understand, look, to share love with people, all people, I will say to you that the intentions are so good with that because what's, what's the underpinnings of that is that it promotes human equality. Are, are you for that? Like, raise your hand. I mean, nod your head if you're for human equality. I certainly am. Jesus is, so shake your head right now. And over on this side is what I would call today, on the other end of the continuum, is superficial masculinity. This is, I drive a truck, I chew tobacco, a burp, a belch, a punch, I'm a man. Which is, by the way, not a man, that's a cartoon. So what is masculinity? What does it mean? What is the idea of manhood? Is it, is it the man who's like the 007? He's stylish and smooth and he's tough and he's tender and he's a womanizing kind of man, sexual conquest and such. Is that what it means to be a man? Or, or is it a little different than that? Is it the NASCAR watching, six-pack-a-day drinking, Chevy truck kind of man? You know, uh, a few years back, they did um, a survey and we're always ranking things, right? Because we don't have better things to do with our time and we have to put out online things and we have to entertain and amuse ourselves. And they ranked the least masculine city in America. Any guesses there? The least masculine city. Just, yeah. 
Okay? Portland. Port, not Pearl. Portland. <laughs> Portland. Portland won. Portland was the least masculine city. Now, I dug a little deeper to discover what they were talking about. What were the criteria? So a city got ranked high if they possessed per capita, if they possessed things like uh, sports teams and steakhouses and hardware stores and home improvement stores and pickup trucks and motorcycles and fishing licenses and tools. And the city was docked points per capita for home furnishing stores, minivan sales, and subscription rates to beauty magazines. So what is it? Apparently, if you're a man, you need to drive a truck and eat red meat and go to Home Depot and beyond anything else, don't cry. Which you're really going to have a trouble theologically, experientially, with the whole Jesus wept thing. Right? John 11, 35. Y'all just memorized the verse today. John 11, Jesus wept. So what is masculinity? Be strong. Women, be strong. But here, because David is a man and Solomon's a man, as a father and a son on a deathbed, there's a heir apparent, a designated successor. He's saying, show yourself to be a man. Let me call us to unity here, men and women. Like, society goes really well. There's more dereliction of duty. Just as if I would sat there and not come up and preach today, there's a lot of men in particular who are prone to passivity. And there's a lot of homes, I, I would say weekly, it's my job as a pastor, I'm intersecting with someone who's crying out, a wife or a child or a grown adult child who's crying out for a man to be a man, not a cartoon figure. So act like a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. Manhood, according to Jesus, can I tell you, is someone who gives his life away. Someone who will lay down his life for his friends. I hope it's true of Dylan and Lucy who tied the knot last night. Ephesians 5.25, I hope it's true for all of you in the, in the sacrament of marriage. Those of you who will join this one day. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, be a man. How? How can you be a man? Love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Can I tell you? Can I tell you that to be a man, you don't walk around saying, what do I need and what do I want? And you demand it from people. A man walks around and says, what do you need and what do you want? And oh, how we need that in our world where we live. And so here it is. Be strong. Any idea, any guesses, not, not out loud, but just to yourself, any guesses why this command to be strong and act courageous is replete in the Bible? Joshua 1, I spoke at a school a few weeks ago, pulled up onto the campus at Hartfield Academy, and it's inscribed on a sign, Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. Every boy, every girl, every woman, every man growing up in that school, there's the educators there saying, hey, let's put this verse out there so that our kids will grow and they'll be strong and courageous. Uh, do you have a mentor? Have you been mentored? Do you mentor any, anybody? We, Susan and I said goodbye to a couple. They were in dental school and they got a job in Nashville. Everybody, every young person's moving to Nashville. When I meet someone who's 25 years old in that range, I just say, hey, when you moving to Nashville? 
But this young lady, we're going to miss her. Fondren's going to miss her, them. But she, she poured in the life of our daughter. She built into Haley. She mentored her. Do you, do you have somebody that mentors you? Do you mentor? Timothy was a young guy, and people were looking down on him because of his youth. And his mentor said to him, be strong, 2 Timothy 2.1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's not Home Depot, red meat, driving a truck, not crying. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see in this a few commands. I might hop around Gina for a second, but there are three commands for every leader in the room that we see early in this story. It's be strong, obey God, and ask Him for weakness. One more thing about this first part, be strong. You want to be a leader. You want to lead others well. The historian David and Israel and Solomon would say, be strong, obey God, and ask God for wisdom. Now here's what I love about David. The, the, the old man that would tell his son to be strong learned about strength and weakness and how it vacillates, how it oscillates, how it changes. And look at 1 Samuel 23, 16. There's a very special friendship. And it was tender. It was manly, but it was tender. You, you guys following me today? Trying to nudge you a little bit. Trying to give you some cues. Trying to encourage you to expand your thinking. 1 Samuel 23, 16. And Saul's son... Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him what? Find strength in God. Can you say that at some point in your life? If you're walking with Christ, if you're learning to be faithful, if you're seeing God grow you, produce fruit in you, you can say this. I don't know the, I don't, I don't know the name, but I thank God for people in my life that I could say, I've got these friends, and they have helped me find strength in God. You'll need that. If you're going to be strong, young leader, old guy, old woman, hey, anybody, if you're going to lead well, if you're going to allow God to come through in your life, you'll need to have friends that can help you. But look now at 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. Remember, his friend had strengthened him, but now he's on his own because that's life. Your friends can get you to a certain place, but only to a certain place. They're of immense value. But there's times of loneliness. Do you know this? David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Such an understatement, isn't it? Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Like nobody wants people who are bitter at you, period. But if you have people that are bitter at you and they're looking to stone you, that's a bad day. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. David was alone and he found strength in his God. So friends can help you. Friends can come to your aid. Friends can speak life into you and give you the courage to go on. But there are times when you're on your own. And you'll need to do this. You'll need to find your strength in the Lord, your God. Hardest part probably of my job is when I want to see God come through for you. When I pour out my heart in prayer for some of you because you've let me in. And though we can encourage you to get in a group and to be around people, to come to church, 
there's a time where this is going to have to be a reality. And so I want to close with the following few things here. By the way, let's go, let's go deeper into the story. 1 Kings 2.3 David's telling Solomon, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies as written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Some of you that are getting deeper into the Bible or learning it a little bit, notice these words. They just keep coming up over and over again. Some of you recall we were in Psalm 19 when we did the soul series one Sunday and these very same words were used. Be strong, obey God, follow him, it says here. 1 Kings 3, let's skip over just a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 3, getting deeper into the story. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what, I, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I don't feel like I have what it takes, God. Will you come through? Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people. Listen to the heart of a young person who wants to lead whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Hear the fear in his prayer. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to, we would say, lead your people, to govern them, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Someone worth following is someone who has a sense, the presence of God, a sense of the importance of what they're doing. I was with a young leader not long ago and he didn't seem to have that. And I felt God stirring it up in me to stir it up in him. And Solomon was saying, man, I am little and this task is big. I am outnumbered. They are many and they're important to you. God, how can I lead your people well? Be strong, obey God, and ask Him for wisdom. Notice that it's almost there for a moment. It's like genie in a bottle, God. Ask for what you want. Like we make jokes about. It. There's a whole, whole genre of jokes about, you know, at genie in a bottle, ask what you want. And every request, every joke includes selfish people being very human and asking great things for themselves. And here, Anybody struggling with self-centeredness? Here, this young child who's about to be a king says, not for me, but for something bigger than me. Quickly, I want to share with you a few numbers here. I'm going to close, but just five practices, three spaces, and nine questions. Aren't you scared? Because that could be five hours right there. Five practices, any note-takers, Here's how to be strong. Here's how to obey God. And here's how to ask him for wisdom and be ready when he gives it to you. Hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. Hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate. A lot of people in 2019 don't read anymore. At least you listen. But hear the word. 
It can bring change in your life. Read the Word. Study it. We can give you tools to do that, to read and study. Read for breadth. Study for depth. And then memorize it. You know what I did when I was a teenager? I would write verses on a three-by-five card and take it with me. It was, I started memorizing verses of the Bible the same time I started shaving. And I would tape it on the mirror that would soon get fogged up. But I would take that verse and I would take it with me throughout the day. And when you memorize it, here's what you're doing. You're giving God a chance to really be strong on your behalf. And then as you memorize it, meditate, chew it over and over like a cow chewing in pasture. There's three spaces, the row, the circle, and the chair. The row is when we come, we sit in a pews, and we worship together. You need that. Can I tell you, if you're going to be strong, and I want, I'm going to again talk to the men. Lead yourself and lead your family. When you're out of town, sometimes run back into town. Tell your family. They're going to have a cardiac arrest. But say, hey, let's get back into town so we can be at church. There's a motivational authority and a spiritual dynamic. Luke, the great physician, said that Jesus went to the temple regularly as was his custom. I hope it'll be your custom. It's a way to be strong, to obey his commands, and to receive wisdom that you would show up regularly in a row to be with God's people that you would also be in a circle. It's why we're fanatical about small groups saying connect with other people. Get in a group. If you don't like your group, don't tell them. Just tell us and we'll get you to another group. Some of you can start a group and we can give you the training and the tools to do that because it's hospitality. It's friendship. It's human. And then there's the chair. That's where you learn to sit. My chair is right there. And almost every day, I'll sit in that chair. I'm not taking any calls or texts. Nobody's tapping on the glass. And I poured my heart out. I want to lead your people well, and I don't have what it takes. The row, the circle, and the chair. You know, Jesus went away from the crowd to be alone with the Father. Do you? Do you? Nine questions, we put them on our Facebook page. But when you open the word, whether you're in the road, the circle, especially the chair, you can ask yourself, is there a promise to claim? Is there truth to believe? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to confess? Is there an attitude to change? Is there an error to avoid? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there something to praise God Sometimes it's easy to praise God, isn't it? I've been riding around town in a truck that's really beat up, but it's paid for, many years paid for. And I didn't even want to tell my wife, I got to go get new brakes or something. It's just, and I rode it around way too long. And I took it in on Friday. A guy named Bob said, bring it in. We brought it in, dropped it off. He called and said, it's ready. And I went and I looked at the seat back brakes, front rotors, all the, you know, 400 this, 300 this, $1,389.43. Like, oh. God, we've been given more. We've been holding on to your promises. We're sacrificing more than we ever have. And now things like this. And I, I look down 
and it said total charges due zero dollars and there was a man named JT and he looked at me and he says keep up the good work don't you wish you were a preacher right now you see God spoke to Bob who owns it and Bob talked to JT who fixed it and then he looked at me and said you're good to go keep up the good work you see sometimes my life it's like that it's just easy to praise God for something something that hurt and one second later like thank you Jesus once again you're providing for me and my family and my 2009 Ford F-150 which is a real man's truck but anyway but sometimes like you I'm wondering where God is and why it's so hard five practices three spaces nine questions that can help you be strong obey God and ask him for wisdom would you stand our team's going to come up and we're going to sing a song today as we close a song about building our lives a song about God being worthy of our praise and not to get preacher like at the end but I just want to say to some of you this whole obey God it's so isn't it important for a mother to a daughter or father to a son or father to a daughter mother to a son like last words are lasting words and like you really want your kids to be obedient to walk in the truth and I want to say today it doesn't win me points here as we close but like for some of you lovingly I say there is a callous disregard for what God says to be true and you won't find strength in him if you don't obey him so don't have a disregard for what God says to be true do what's right we, we, you know David right you don't have to be a church guy to know David did some really boneheaded things but confession and repentance had made him stronger his friends and that alone time strengthened him and that can be your story as well father thank you for this question that we're going to ask in these hot summer weeks will God will you come through sometimes many times I've wondered if you will and Friday just through a provision you showed me that you haven't forgotten me and there's little blessings and big blessings that come my way and hard times of questioning and wondering Lord help me and help us to lead your people well for mothers and fathers to lead their families well and for people to lead at the workplace and for us to lead here and Lord we can't lead others well if we don't lead ourselves and that's the tallest of all strengthen us in that regard in Jesus amen you come today if we can pray for you we're going to sing I will build my life the altar is open looks for some of you humble yourself it doesn't matter if you're an elder a staff a deacon a group leader a banker butcher baker candlestick maker whatever it doesn't matter who you are you come today and bow before the Lord or take one of us down front we would love to pray for you for anything today any decision any concern any uh, area of rejoicing let's close strongly as we